Fantastic. Well, if you'd open your Bibles then at uh, Proverbs 15, 13, I want to carry on something I started uh, a couple of weeks ago. How many have had, felt God's been working on your life in this last couple of weeks? Man, it's not that nice, is it really? How many cried a few tears this last couple of weeks? How many had a few hissy fits? <laughs> That's good. That's good. If nothing's happening, that's not good. It means it'll take a four by two to get through or something. <laughs> right, over the last two or three weeks, the Spirit of God's been moving over the church and uh, touching all of us. I have felt His presence coming on me in a different way over the last few weeks. Done a lot more crying in the last few weeks. Not always sure what it is, just, just feeling God. And uh, feeling God just opening my heart and life. And, and I've learned when, when that's happening like that, that you need to learn to cooperate with God. You, you actually respond now. So a few people, I've just told them up, told them straight, stop messing around, deal with the issue you've been putting off for the last 18 months and face it now. Now's the time because God was preparing us for some enlargements in our lives. So we need to respond to God. So we're going to talk about how to respond to God. I, I want to uh, share with you today, I want to talk about the healing of the wounded spirit and I want to pick a particular aspect of it today. I want to talk about how people's spirit gets wounded want to talk about how you can tell if your spirit's wounded and then what people do to try and cope with this deal. And then next week I want to talk about how we can actually come near to God and find comfort from God. How many know the world offers its own form of comfort? It's quick fix stuff, but it leaves you pretty empty and you've got to go back for more. Like the woman at the well, you know, he said, Jesus said to her, you, you keep drinking of that, then you're going to be thirsty again. But you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst. Okay then, so let's just pick it up where we were. Which I want to cover a little bit because be some people weren't there for the other session, but uh, I want to move on and go to some other things today. So Proverbs 15 verse 13, it says this. It says, uh, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. So by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. That means fractured. It means literally to be wounded or damaged. Or it means to be driven back so it's not functioning properly. So the spirit of a man or a woman, spirit of a man, when I'm saying man, we're talking men and woman here or young people, whatever. Our spirit can be broken or damaged. And when it is, every part of our life is impacted. When your spirit is damaged, every part of your life is impacted. And so, of course, when a person's born into this world, we're born without God. So we're not in a good condition already. Bible calls that condition dead. We lack the God life in our spirit. This is why people need to be born again. We don't just come to church and do a few religious things. We need actually an inner transformation. And God's way of changing us is to take His Spirit and join it to our spirit. Something comes alive on the inside and now we begin to change. But our spirit can be damaged. Our spirit can be defiled. In other words, there can be things come around our spirit. And so it's not only damaged and not functioning right, it's actually malfunctioning. There's something wrong is happening in it. And so the Bible tells us it's sorrow causes that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when we don't, when we have dreams and desires and longings for the future and they don't get fulfilled, that affects our spirit. And uh, so I want to just talk a little bit about the, the function of your spirit. I don't want to get sidetracked onto this area, but I want to share with just a few things, just so you understand why this is important, that our spirit be whole, our spirit be strong. God wants your body strong, your soul strong, and your spirit strong. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. 
It tells us Paul, uh, Paul is praying now and he's saying, now the God of peace sanctify you holy. In other words, he's praying for God to make us holy. To make us holy is not just about uh, getting rid of gross sins. To make us holy is to make us whole on the inside so we function properly. So we're operating like God intended us to operate. And he says, not that, he says and that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. So he... This scripture and many other scriptures make it very clear how God has designed us. We're designed body, soul, and spirit. Your body is the physical expression of you in the world. Say it again. The, the real you is the inner man. That's what goes on forever. It's the soul and spirit. The body is the expression of your inner man. It's the expression of who you are. It's the temple, the house that you live in. It's what enables you to connect with the physical world. And so we need a body. You've got to look after your body. God's plan is the body be healthy, full of life, that your body doesn't prematurely age. I was looking at someone yesterday. And I was horrified. I saw this person, and they couldn't only be about 50, and they looked like about 70. And it's not God's plan for that to be so. That when we're 50, we look 70. When we're 70, look 50. You know, that's more like it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's more like it. Come on, old. Come on. Some of you should be cheering up on that news. You know, don't want to be looking old. You want to be young and bright and sparky, and there's a, there's a reason. So now the soul. The soul. I used to think of the soul just sort of some round thing. I didn't know what the soul was, to tell the truth. I knew we had one, and the soul uh, had to do with the mind, uh, the will, and the emotions. And of course, I usually used to think of the mind being the brain, but actually the brain is a part of your body body, not your soul. Brains are part of your body, not your soul. Uh, your soul actually has the same form and shape as your body, but the soul fills all of your body. The soul, your soul, fills all of your body. It's just the same shape. In fact, if you saw you out of your body, you just look like you are in your body right now. It's the soul, you see. And, and the soul contains the mind, you know, the capacity to think, reason, imagine. It contains emotions, and it contains your will, your capacity to choose. But actually, all of these are right through your whole body, soul, and spirit. So whatever affects your emotion affects everything, body, soul, and spirit. So something affects your body, it'll affect your soul and spirit. Something affects your spirit, it'll affect your soul and your body. And uh, you can't divide the things up. It's helpful to talk about them as being different, but you can't divide them up uh, not easily. See, so then we have a spirit. And the spirit fills the soul and the body and gives them both life. Your spirit came from God. When God first breathed in the first man, he put spirit into him. And ever since then, there's been a capacity for spirit to be reproduced right through. Every human being ever born into this world is a spirit being. They have a spirit part of them, but disconnected from God. There's no, no, no God life in it. They still have a spirit, though. And uh, I just want to share with you two or three functions of the spirit. And the one is to give life to the body and the soul. So when you become uh, born again, when you become a believer... Now, this is the thing, you see, once you become a believer and the Spirit of God is in you, you have the capacity to be energized with fresh thoughts, fresh emotions, fresh, a whole fresh perspective of life from within your spirit. But if you never learn to live from within your spirit, you just remain a religious person. You're born again, you go to church, but you're not manifesting the God life. God's life generates ideas. The Spirit of God puts ideas into your mind, ideas into your inner life. And so we need to be, we should be the most creative, positive people. We could be if we live from our spirit. But if you live out of your soul and your body and the demands of your soul and body, then you won't live a dynamic life. See, it's the spirit-filled life 
the life which is empowered by God in our spirit, that's the dynamic life. Jesus said, out of your spirit, out of your belly, out of your innermost being, John 7, 38, shall flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking about the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given. So God puts his spirit in us, joins to our spirit, and then life flows out of our spirit in a whole new dimension. That's why, you, you, and you see the impact of it. So a second aspect of our spirit's function is to nourish and support the body. It tells it to nourish and support the body and soul, Proverbs 18 and verse 14. So Proverbs 18 and 14, we find that the spirit of a man brings life and supports and nourishes or strengthens us. So if your spirit's weak or broken, then you will tend to get sick very often because you haven't got, there's something missing inside you. Now, sickness can come because of demons, can come because of breakdown in your body, but it can also, we can be very vulnerable to it, not just because of natural causes, but because spiritually there's a brokenness and a damage has taken place in our spirit and or our soul. Third function of your spirit is to communicate, connect with God, where our spirit has got the capacity to bond and to connect. In fact, that's where we're going to get in a moment. We're going to lead to this at the end. You are made to connect. You just can't not connect. You're made. See, our spirit is designed and capable of bonding. It's designed that way. Why is it designed that way? Because we're made like God. We're made in the image of God. And God is a relational person. And so God, because God is a relational person, there's a part of us has a desperate need to bond. You can't not have that need. It's there all the time. We're designed that way. The, natural, uh, uh, the, natural, the, the way God has designed us is that we be bonded to Him. And so the Bible says God is love. It's His nature to love and welcome and embrace people. There's a part of us wants to be loved. I have met a person yet didn't want to be loved. There's something in there that wants to be bonded to someone just love and accept and know us and communicate with us. And so He said, if we don't find it in God, we must find it somewhere. And it's where we go looking that's the problem. See, we are designed to function in a relationship with God. When you don't have a relationship with God, you malfunction. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, sin disconnects us and causes us to function differently to the way God intended us to function. If you're here today and you're very lonely, there's a lot of causes of loneliness, but the core of it is a separation from God. The core of it is a lack of connectedness. And one of the difficulties we face in New Zealand as a nation, and in the church particularly, is the bonding of people together, not just to God, but to one another. And the inability to connect one to another tells us we're damaged. Because we weren't made that way originally. So if you're having trouble and you feel lonely, you've got issues, then there's issues inside you to address. Don't look at it outside you. It's something inside you. Don't look around and say, there's not enough love around here. Heaps of love. But actually, you have to position yourself to receive it. Every week, God wants to touch you. But whether you get touched, another thing. We position ourselves to receive. And sometimes we're being so damaged, we can't receive. So, so our, our, our spirit, 1 Corinthians six seventeen, he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. That means there's a bonding like a husband and wife with the Lord. That raises up something else. Your spirit enables you also to connect and communicate with the spirit and natural world around you. Your spirit, another function of your spirit, is to connect with and relate to and influence the spirit world and the natural world around you. I'll talk about a couple of things about that. Listen, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, 
It says, now we're a believer. Henceforth, we know no one after the flesh. We know him after the spirit. Now, I want to think about that for a moment. Now you're born again. You're now introduced to a new realm of living called spirit-empowered, spirit-filled living. And it says, we know no one after the flesh. How do you know him after this? Oh, that's just Rachel. She works down there at, at Waddy's. Or that's Dave. Well, he works with the youth. Now, that's relating to one another after the flesh. But the Bible says, once you're born again, you can know people after the Spirit. In other words, you have a capacity within your spirit to engage people at a much deeper level, to connect with them and sense things about them and become joined to them in a different kind of way. Think about that. So to do that, there's several things about our spirit. First of all, our spirit is not limited to our body. Now, this bit you might find a bit hard to cope with. And I'll give it to you anyway, because it'll help you if you can understand. Your, your soul is, is connected to your body, fills your body, but your spirit's not limited there. Let me give you a few simple things so you can actually really know that what I'm saying is true. Then I'll take you out a bit further. But I won't go too far. You can go up to Ian's seminar and you go further there. But I want to just lay a few things out here. Your spirit actually not only fills your body, it actually penetrates some of the space around you as well. Give me an example. And that space that you... You, you, feel, you call it my space. Have you noticed that if someone tries to sneak up behind you, long, before they get really near to touch you, you suddenly feel them. But you're not touching them. So what felt them? Your spirit. Your spirit can feel the presence of someone else. You ever been in a in McDonald's or someplace like that and you just got your eyes and you stared at someone from behind. You looked and looked and looked at them. Pretty soon they're looking around. Someone's looking at me. Who's looking at me? Because you're, what they felt someone was looking. And how they feel someone was looking? Because the spirit of the person looking began to flow and began to touch that person. They felt someone, someone's touching me. Someone's near me. With your personal space around you, someone comes near there. Now, it's interesting how people will respond, see? So, now you get around and get near in someone's space. It's a bit rude to get inside someone's space, but if you've got a very open, accepting heart, it's not a problem. You welcome people in. But generally, we only welcome in the people we love and trust, and trust. The rest of the people, we keep at a distance. You say, you're invading my space. And some people have got a, got a space that's very tight. And you don't get in and get welcomed very easy. That's a malfunction, of course, out of fear. If I let you in, you might hurt me. So I'm not letting anyone in. That's a malfunction because God wants us. God's not like that. He opens his heart and welcomes people in. So your spirit obviously is able to overflow from your body and begin to touch the people around you. You can feel their presence. You can touch them with your spirit. Now, now let me give you another few examples. You ever notice if someone's really angry, you can feel their anger right across a room. How did you feel their anger? The human spirit filled and charged with the anger in the soul began to invade the room and you felt their presence. Someone comes in carrying tremendous authority, you feel their presence. You get on, you get on edge, you're alert. You get in a, a place where people are really joyful and happy and so, something affects you. You get, picked, you, you get affected by that. Someone comes to you and they've got an unusual calm and quiet and you talk with them and you begin to calm down. Their spirit is starting to impact you. And so the life, we're going to understand the realm of the spirit. So the realm, they we're not even talking about the spirit world. We're just talking about the human spirit. Now your human spirit is connected to God. So where's God? Where's Jesus? He's, where is he? He's in heaven. Body, soul, and spirit. He's in heaven. Absolutely he's in heaven. 
So how can he live in my heart? By his spirit. Well, how does that work? My spirit must have the capacity to link with God and be able to engage God in a realm and in a place called heaven. So when you start to look in the Bible, you'll find there's all kinds of people who are able to actually, with their spirit, you know, they were able to engage God and to go places. Elijah, Elisha rather, with Gehazi, said, didn't my heart go with you? He saw what the guy was doing. His spirit went with him. Paul said, I'm absent with you, absent in body, but present in spirit. Now, is that just a word or does it really mean something? So spiritually, whatever we take responsibility for, we begin to have an influence of. Now, if you reach out and take responsibility for someone, something that God has given you, then your spirit comes out over them and begins to influence them. So if a father withdraws from his family and does not take responsibility, the whole family is uncovered and exposed to demonic powers. If he doesn't put his spirit over them, someone else will. Now, so, so these are functions of the human spirit. So uh, we need to recognize then our spirit's really, really important part of us. With our spirit, we bond. Husband and wife, when they come together in marriage, most of these two become one flesh. There's a bonding physically in the soul bond, and then there's also a spiritual flow one to another. That's why you want into marriage without lots of complicated uh, other relationships sexually because you then are able to bond and flow because you've got nothing in your soul about previous relationships to mess you up. Okay, so there we've got some ideas on the spirit of a man, okay? Spirit of a man. Now notice that uh, uh, the spirit, Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart does good like a medicine. A merry heart does good like a medicine, Proverbs 17, 22, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So if your spirit is broken and damaged, we found it gets damaged by sorrow, then what happens is it affects every part of you. What does it affect? It affects your soul. It affects your body. Now, one of the most obvious ways to see if someone's spirit is alive, the first place you can see whether someone's spirit's energized, you know where you first see it? On their face. When a person's uh, spiritually alive, you know what happens? They have a brightness in their countenance. Moses came out of the presence of God. His face shone. When, when people, you see them particularly in uh, India, they get saved, their face glows. Their eyes light up. They, the darkness is gone. I've noticed among Maori people, if an evil spirit gets over them, they become black. You look and say, what happened? It looks like the colors change. But the, the physical colors, you know, there's, there's a demon on them and their countenance is gloomy and black. So when a person's alive in their spirit, their countenance shines. There's a brightness, a glow and a life. When a person's not alive in their spirit, spirit's broken or damaged or not functioning or the life of God isn't flowing, then they look dull. I look around. The first thing I did when I got up here today was look around all the faces. First thing. Looking to see who's shining and who's dull. You can't believe how easy it is to see. Don't look at the person next to you. <laughs> you know, it's them. <laughs> okay. So, all right. And I want to talk about the wounded spirit. So how does the spirit of a man get wounded? How do we get wounded? I want to share with you several ways the spirit gets wounded. And the Bible is very clear on it. It says, by sorrow, the spirit gets wounded. So when we have painful experiences in life, it doesn't just affect our body. It affects our soul, our spirit. 
It doesn't just affect our soul, it affects our spirit, and our spirit can be wounded. Wounded means there's a damage, it's broken, it's not functioning quite right. If it's not functioning, there's, it's not, not giving, there's no life flow from within. So let me give you several of them, just in alphabetical order, not necessarily important. So number one, abandonment. When people are abandoned by those near to them who should love them, then a deep wound can take place in a person's spirit. In Psalm 142 verse 4 uh, David cried out like this, and he said, No man would know me. Refuge failed me. No one cared for my soul. And you can sense the cry of a broken heart inside of a man who's been abandoned by everyone. Refuge failed me. I found there was no comfort anywhere, uh, nothing in life. There was no people. There was nothing. There was a man who was abandoned. But he found strength and comfort in God, it tells us. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 tells us when everyone and everything was against him, he encouraged himself in the Lord. That's what we'll look at next week, how we can encourage ourselves and gain comfort and strength and hope from the Lord. So abandonment. Let me give you a few examples that cause a person's spirit to be wounded. When a child is abandoned by their parents, child is abandoned, abandoned for adoption. A child is uh, abandoned, uh, abandonment can come out if a child is separated from the mother, particularly during the early stages of its life, such as it's got a premature birth, it's an incubator, there's no physical contact, even animals die if they don't have physical contact because it's something that needs nurturing through the touch. So a, a deep wound of abandonment can take place quite early on. A husband abandons his wife, the wound Anyone, if you've never been through it, you can, you can hardly, if you haven't been through it, you can't understand it. But if you've been through it, it's like there's something cuts you to the core. A deep, deep wound to be abandoned by someone you gave your life to, to have to walk off. A person can feel abandoned when a parent dies, when they're a child. A child can't understand why a parent dies. All they know is the parent left them. And if you say the silly thing, the silly, silly thing, well, God took them. Now, I was a little child. I know what I'd be thinking about God from that point on. I'd have issues with God just because of a careless thing. God didn't take them. God doesn't do that. So you don't blame God for the things that the devil does. Don't blame God for things which are part of life's tragedies and difficulties. Don't blame God. God's a good God. He doesn't take people away in the prime of their life. He doesn't do it. That's a religious concept. He's a good God, a good God. So probably half of us have been grown up in church backgrounds, you know, oh, well, it was the will of God, or it was God did it, or the Lord, it was an act of God. You know, why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you ascribe to God evil? See, God is a good God. God only plans good. He does not plan evil. And when evil takes place, he makes provision for good. But he's a good God. Come on now, you need to think about that one. See, so when a child is separated from their parents, they can create abandonment. His second one is abuse. So abandonment wounds the spirit. So some people grow through life and they always feel unable to connect. They're, they've been abandoned and they actually always expect and feel they're going to be abandoned. Like they're wounded need to be healed on the inside. Another one is abuse. When people who should protect us, abuse us and hurt us, that's incredibly, incredibly painful. And the spirit can be wounded by this. And uh, so abuse of words, abuse of words. In uh, Psalm 69 verse 20, uh, it tells us that reproach has broken my heart. In other words, abuse of words. You can speak words. When parents speak words that abuse their kids, yes, stupid, you're an idiot, you're a fool, start to yell at them. Those words uh, go in and they actually have spirit power. Therefore, they can wound and breach a person's spirit. 
I mean, years and years and years after people have had that kind of treatment, they grow up and they still got the words ringing in their ears because it's a wound inside, deep wound inside. So words can wound us. You know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's nonsense. Your bones mend, but who heals you from the words that have been spoken? They lodge in there because they have a spirit dimension to them. Words of hate, words of threat, all these kind of things. They cause wounds. And physical abuse does it when a person's physically abused. When they're beaten and pummeled, their heart gets absolutely broken. The person who should protect them has now hurt them and taken advantage of them. It's a terrible wound on the inside. Sexual abuse. In 2 Samuel 13 and verse 20, it says of Tamar that she was absolutely desolate. In other words, that word means she was numbed, and desolate or death. There was death. Her whole inner being was destroyed by the sexual abuse that she encountered. So sexual abuse will cause tremendous wounding of the spirit that needs healing. The person gets bought, they get connected to someone else's spirit by the sexual abuse and they can't seem to get rid of it all until the soul tie that bonds the soul is broken and you speak words that release their spirit from that whole attachment to the other person. So that can do it. A, a mental abuse, words and uh, silences, all of these can wound a person's spirit very, very deeply. Some of you may, as, you, as I'm thinking about it, as you're talking about it, you may suddenly be aware that this is a very, very deep thing for you. So when these things happen, not only the soul gets damaged, but our spirit can be wounded. We get a wound on the inside. Another one that causes it is betrayal. When people who we trusted betray us, that's a major one that causes a wounding in the spirit. Now, only your friends can betray you. Listen to what David says. Psalm 41 verse 9, it was my own familiar friend in whom I trusted. Betrayal, betrayal, betrayal is a common trait in New Zealand relationships, and particularly in churches. It's very common, very common to be a betrayer. Let me talk how you betray someone. You notice here it says, and David's talking the psalm, he says, my familiar friend that I trusted, we went to the house of God together, we worshiped God together, we fellowshiped and we ate together. So how do you betray? Well, when a husband or a wife commits adultery, that is a betrayal. It's a total betrayal of the trust that a person put in them. When a, a spiritual leader commits adultery or fails morally or fails uh, in, in a major way, that is a betrayal of the trust the people put in them. The churches, the whole spirit of a church gets wounded. I've been into churches like that. The wounding is deep. It's very deep. I'll be going to one of those later on this year, in about three weeks' time. Very deep wounding. And when you go there, you can just feel the sorrow and the, the brokenness. When, when people try to worship God, it affects, the whole atmosphere is affected. So uh, someone, another way that we, uh, that we uh, betray in relationships is when someone shares their life with us and then we betray the confidence. When you gossip and tell secrets that someone shared with you and you don't keep them, that is a betrayal of the relationship. When you talk behind a person's back, now this is the most common one, when you smile to their face, sit down and pray with them and study the Bible with them and eat food with them and then behind their back run them down, that is betrayal of trust, betrayal of relationship. It's a deep one. And when you hear about it, it's deeply wounding. It takes great grace from God to be able to overcome betrayal. Usually we try to defend ourselves from future betrayals and then we become isolated because we didn't come to God with it. And over years, I've had many experiences like this. Many. I've talked to other pastors and leaders. Many. 
Many, many. There are some here, there are large numbers of people here who've known the pain of that experience. And if you don't get healed, that will affect all future relationships in your ability to trust and to bond. We have to be healed from it. We have to deal with it. We have to find comfort and we have to find a place to go to deal with it. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Judas would, you look at Judas, 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 Judas. Yeah, now listen, Judas lived with Jesus. Judas accompanied him in ministry. Judas was a part of a ministry team. Judas was entrusted with finances because he was good with finances. Jesus admi uh, Judas administrated the finances of the ministry team. Judas went out and preached the gospel. Judas went out and prayed and laid hands on people and the power of God came on them. But Judas was a betrayer because he got offended with Jesus over an issue and then he betrayed him. And usually, before people betray one another, they get offended. So I found if I thought through over the years, people where I had to confront them over something or they didn't get them what they wanted, they got offended, that's when betrayal occurred. Straight after that. And Jesus said that. He said, offenses, uh, he said, then will be followed by betrayal. So, so we need to understand betrayal wounds you. It's a really, very really hard thing to get over. Adultery is a betrayal. Adultery is a terrible betrayal. So when a person's been involved in adultery, one of the first things we do is find out, was it just a one-off thing that just happened because of unwise behavior, or was there a long pattern of secrecy and betrayal of the marriage covenant? There's a huge difference in how you handle it. And that the wounding is immense. The wounding is immense. When you're giving yourself wholly to someone and then they betray your love and trust, it's a very, very deep wound. And people in the community are, are wounded. There's families that are wounded. You know, kids that have grown up, their fathers left them, and they're, they're wounded and they're angry. And then you get them in school and you wonder why God can't educate them because they've got problems inside them that need loving and healing. Uh, another one is rejection. When people are rejected, when key people in life are rejected, the spirit is wounded. Unwanted child, child's unwanted, they feel that. They get wounded in their spirit before they're even born. Long before they're conscious of what's happened, they come out of the womb and they've already got a wound inside them. Not in the soul, in the spirit. They already know they're not wanted. Perhaps the father wanted a, a daughter and got a son instead and didn't want the, didn't, uh, sorry, didn't, got a, wanted a son didn't, and got a daughter and didn't want the daughter. The daughter gets wounded in her spirit. I've seen a lot of young girls trying to desperately be men. They don't even know why they're trying to be like that, but it's basically because they've got a deep wound in their spirit of rejection. So th these are things that wound us. Sin, our own sin can wound us. In Psalm 51 verse 3, David said his sin wounded him. He's forever conscious of it, ever aware of it. It, was a, it affected his whole life. Traumatic experiences can wound our spirit. Involved in an accident, the shock actually affects body, soul, and spirit. So people afterwards, you notice how people who have been, for example, that their shop was held up. Have you ever read in the paper and noticed how often when someone's been involved in a bank robbery, they were in the bank and they were robbed, how often when you follow that person through, you find they can't hold a job after that, their whole life is ruined because the shock and the trauma wounded them and they're unable to recover and they go into a, into a state of life where they can't actually hold a job anymore. Huge. This, this, the community's full of it and it needs the power of God. It needs a God who is a spirit to come and love and embrace and heal the wounded spirit. And we have the answers to this. The church is the only people that have access to the life and presence of God and the ability to bring healing to people who are wounded. But we need to also make sure that our own life and our own heart is wounded. So what happens then? If a, how can you actually tell if a person's wounded? Very, very simple. I'll give you a few symptoms. Number one is extreme sensitivity. 
very touchy, very, very sensitive. Uh, it's like they're bleeding on the inside. You ever notice when you had a wound, you had a cut, and uh, just before it just healed up, you banged it again, like a stubbed toe. Man, I used to hate stubbed toes when I was growing up. You know, you stub your toe, and <laughs> every part of your body knows the toe's stubbed, you know? And, uh, and then you just sort of, it's just going right, and then you stub the wretched thing again. <laughs> oh, you're very upset there. And it's just, just getting right, and it's just, oh, it's just coming right, <laughs> not again, you know, someone stood on it. You know, and it's like, so it's like the wound never really heals. And, and when a person's got a wounded spirit, it's like they never really ever get right. And so what happens is they've got no resilience. Something comes, whoop, they're, they're knocked back and it takes them two days, a week, a month to get up. They finally get up again. They just go and they just do it and find that. Then the next knock, come up. They've got no power to get up. Down they go again. And then they're another month trying to get up or two days or three days or whatever it is. It's a wounded spirit that causes that. The, heart, the inner man is wounded. It needs healing. That's a sign. They're easily hurt and don't seem to heal right. Another one is uh, constantly sad or grieving and, and sad. There's a constant awareness of sadness and they're constantly unhappy. It's like a black cloud. In Danny we used to have uh, clouds over the hills all the time. Now, you ever drive through Danny you always see these clouds on the hills. Well, some people have a cloud on the hill, you know, a cloud over the hill. They look gloomy all the time. And even when they're in the middle of a crowd of people that are happy, they can't seem to get the gloom off them. That's because there's sorrow of heart. There's, a, there's something wrong on the inside that needs to be healed. Another one is an inability to trust. Now, you may not have one. You may have only one or two of these, but they all indicate that the spirit may be wounded and may need healing. And uh, we're going to talk a lot more on the healing process and how you access God for that next week. But I just want to get the thing out so we understand what's going on. Uh, so inability to trust. So trust, is, trust is like a bridge in a relationship. You're going to connect with people. You have to, have to have some measure of trust. You have to give a measure of trust. Now what happens is if, trust, if your spirit gets wounded, then the bridge of trust gets broken. The bridge of trust gets broken. It's very, very difficult to get it back again. See, a lot of people think you can say sorry and it's all okay. It doesn't work like that. Sorry removes the past offense. Sorry doesn't reestablish trust. And often, if a person's got a wounded spirit, they've had lots of relationships that broke down and they got hurt, and it's really hard for them to trust. And so every time, it's a very difficult thing to build a bridge. So some of you like that here. Very, very difficult to connect into a group. You don't want to be in a group. You've got all sorts of reasons why not. The real issue is I don't want to trust anyone because I don't trust anyone. And it's reasonable to be like that, but God wants us to be whole. So you can't make people trust you. When people sense they're loved unconditionally, they often then open their heart to trust. See? And the problem is, if we won't trust, we can't receive from God. So if, if you don't trust God, or you're blaming God for everything, how are you going to trust Him and draw what you need? You're going to have to try and survive in life. Hopelessness, just a sense where nothing's, nothing's going to get better, everything's bad. This is all a sign of a wounded spirit. Uh, another one is agreement with death, where the person decides it's just be better if I died than went ahead. And they come into agreement with death. This is a very serious thing. A lot of people get like that. I just wish I was dead. You know, would be better if I was. Now, that's actually a sign the spirit's wounded and there's a despair has entered into the soul. And finally, isolated and disconnected. The person sort of got, is quite passive. A lot of guys get like this. A lot of men have been wounded. I reckon the spirit of our nation is affected by rejection. And I see men everywhere beaten down on the inside. It's like there's something sits on them. I see it all over the nation. And, and what happens is, is they withdraw and won't connect to life or relationships or take up responsibility. This is a malfunction. There's something really wrong. We're made to bond and connect. Now, here's the thing. If we don't connect with God and then begin to build healthy relationships, we will bond with something. 
And it's the something we bomb to that becomes the problem. And this is where I want to lead to now. I'm not going to go through all the process of how you get healed. I want to bring us to a point, because I felt the Lord put this on my heart, where we look at the things that we have bonded to as a substitute for coming to God. If we want God to heal us, you, you don't get healing unless you deal with the things you're attached to as a substitute. Now, when a person's hurt, what are they going to do? We've got to go somewhere with our pain. By sorrow of heart, the spirit's broken. So what do you do with your pain? Where do you go? Now, there is a comfort that God offers, and I want to talk to you next week about how, what the comfort is he offers, how he does it, but there's also a comfort that the world offers. And the problem is the comfort the world offers is quick, it's instant, you can get it now. The comfort that God offers is a process of building relationship and connection, and it isn't a quick fix thing. It's a journey of relationship. And the quick fix the world offers is so quick and so easy and so good and gives you such a good feel, it's much easier to go this way. And instead of addressing our inner life, see, when you take the quick fix of the world, you don't solve anything, you delay the problem, and it just gets worse. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. God wants us to learn how to come to Him. He is the God of comfort. The Father is a comforter. The Son is a comforter. The Holy Ghost is called the comforter, the one who will come to us and help us. But we've got to learn to come to Him. And the problem is we go to other things. And it's the other things that become the issue. And the other things are what I want. I want to list a few other things we go to to try and deal with pain. And I want you to see if this is one of you. Now, God comforts us. Listen to this. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 16, 17, He has loved us. He has loved us and given us everlasting comfort and good hope through grace. God loves us. And the comfort He gives us goes on forever. In other words, it's a real thing and it lasts. And not only that, he gives us hope, we can look forward to the future and say, man, my life is great today. It's better tomorrow because I serve a living God. But you see, to have that comfort from God, I got to stop going somewhere else for it. And that's the dilemma. And that's where I think God is bringing many of us today to a place where we say, I've been to all the other places and they leave me empty and they leave me worse and I know they don't work. I need God. And when we start to say, these things are what I've been going to and they don't work. And when we say, God, I'm coming to you, that's when change begins to take place. You can't have the comfort of God and then have the world comfort as well. You have to choose between them. You have to choose between them. So the false comfort of the world, I call it the false comfort, means literally to comfort yourself, to relieve the pain or means to call something alongside you for help. Now, of course, the comforter is the Holy Ghost. He wants to come alongside us, but we call something else alongside us to help. Let me give you a heap of things, or just a few things that uh, we, we, we do. Here's number one. one thing, you know what? Some people comfort themselves with revenge. I'll get back. I'll get back. You wait. Just, just you wait. Oh, just you wait. I'll fix him. You don't gonna treat me like that. Now, people can comfort themselves with revenge or thoughts of revenge. Jacob did that, Esau did that, Genesis 27:42. He comforted himself with that. Here's another way you can comfort yourself. <sighs> I'll have a smoke. <sighs> right? See? So we got so we got all kinds of things. You got alcohol. 
so easy to just quietly sit in your room and have a bottle. You don't know just how easy it is to do that. I've done that. I've done that. Doesn't answer it. Wake up with a headache. Maybe even throw up. And you're still not comforted. You've got more pains now. The original one's still there. Now you've got some other ones. God, what did I do last night? Oh, my God. Oh, bad. You know, young people today going on binge drinking because they've got a problem. And there's a demon in that drink. There's a demon waiting to get a hold of you. Remember, everything that we use as a substitute for the real thing for God opens the door to demons. And once you're in there, you become addicted. You can't seem to get out. Your life seems to get locked up. And we've got people in that place there. So alcohol and drugs opens the door. So people go out and they want to smoke the wacky backy. Man, I tried the wacky backy one time. It was offered to me when I was on American ship. I'm glad, I'm glad that I got, a, I got saved shortly after that. And that was the end of all of that. It would have been a real problem because of how I was wired and what was wrong inside me. See, the thing is, when you're in pain, you're going to find an answer somewhere. You've got to find it somewhere. You have to find it somewhere. You're going to look somewhere for comfort. And we've got to be joined to someone who can comfort us. And he's called Jesus Christ. He's called the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. He's called the Father, who's a Comforter. God wants to comfort us if we're in our in pain. Eh? So revenge. We comfort ourselves with revenge. We comfort ourselves with, with alcohol and drugs and smokes and that kind of stuff. We come, people comfort themselves with food. Chocolate! Give me some more chocolate! Oh, oh that feels good! Oh, caramel! Oh, Black Forest! I can sit and eat a whole cake in one sitting, easily. And then still think I'd like some more. I can make the ice cream. Ah! Oh, yes. You don't know how I long for these things when I've been away. I come back, oh, I've got to have some. And you know this is what it's like. See, the problem is these things, the devil's got something at your door to make you feel good. Here, have this. Feel good. This will be okay. Just, just a little bit. It won't happen. Won't worry. Go one drink. I mean, don't be all religious, you know. Have, a, have another drink. Come on, have another one. Be okay. There's just a couple. Be all right. See, no one will see you anyway. The other one's sexual sin. Sexual sin. Sexual sin. Relationships. Relationships. We try to find comfort in relationship. And, of course, if you're Christian, you probably won't find it there because you know you shouldn't do that. So you go to pornography. And fantasy. Well, fantasy is another big one. Fantasy is one on all its on its own. That's in a league of its own. Fantasy is the place you go to feel better about life when life is very painful. And there's lots of ways you can go into that world. Oh, there it is. You know the fantasy world? You're in control. Nothing can go wrong. Mm, daydreaming. That's one way. TV. It's like a drug, like a drug. If you're hooked, it's feeding something inside you. Get off it, fast off it, get off it. Let go of your idol. It's not going to do any good. The, the video games. Now, a little bit games are okay. I'm not against these things, but the problem is people get into it and they actually find a way out of life and into another world and they become addicted. Man, I had one go at those. I thought I could have got into that. I could have got into that. No, one go, and then I kept seeing all the blimmin' things in my mind after, so there's no way I didn't want to mess in my mind, so I don't even go there on the games now. But that's another way. But I used to go to books. I grew up very, a lot of pain, so I used to read. Oh, read. I don't even remember where I was for most of my growing years. I read so much. This was a bookworm. In the library, I read just about every flippin' book. But actually, I was away, away from pain. And some of you do that. In other ways, the soap operas. Oh, desperate housewives. You just can't miss it. 
Why can't you miss it? Why not? Why can't you miss that stuff? I've, I, I sat down with see what some of the kids were. Oh my goodness me, some of the stuff they watch. It's absolute rubbish and trash. But you know something, there's something in it, there's a fantasy world in there. So guys to go to certain kinds of fantasies, they go to the power thing. But women will go to the romance thing. This idea, oh, they're away there, and they're having mental adulteries, you know. The hunk. Used to, years ago, there used to be that guy Fabio, and all the women were crooned over him. Now there's some other guy that they're all on about, and they're just away with all these things, you know, the Mills and Boons, and all the, you know, all the, you know, these romance. See, this is a way out of the pain. Get another book and read. Ah, oh, oh. I used to get a book. I'd sit down and sit there for hours and read the whole flipping thing, right to one end of the other. I just was not there for most of my growing years. That's very sad. Very sad. Some of you know what that's like. See, so fantasy, so daydreaming, games, pornography, books, texting. <laughs> Way in another world. Mobile phones. Man, they're all good in themselves, but boy, you can get out there. Some guys, I mean, you've all got your, your hook, you see. Is what do you, where do you go to drink when you're thirsty in your spirit? See? Another way that people deal with it is through control. We just deny there's a problem, no problem. Cover it up. Suppress it all. Control it. Or get distracted. This is the most common one. This is the most common one. Try and control the pain. And so what we do is we get distracted by being busy. Yeah, but we've got one or two workaholics here. You know workaholic? It's like an alcoholic. Alcoholic's got the bottle. Well, of course, we all look down on the alcoholic. The workaholic's got his work. That seems good. We're a bit confused on that one. We know people ought to work. That should be... Is that all right, workaholic? No, it's a workaholic. It's a holic. That's the problem. It's an addiction. What they're trying to do is they're trying to solve the pain inside by burying themselves in the work, and it is an addiction. And you can't take a holiday. And, and you know what? All of these things become idols. See, well, then of course, you become a Christian. Then you become busy serving in the church. Till your whole life blows apart because you couldn't say no anywhere. No one wants you to do that. Or you become rescuing people. You become the nice person. You know, in church, I've got lots of nice people who are full of fear of being rejected. So they're nice all the time. But this last two or three weeks, they're not so nice. <laughs> last couple of weeks, Holy Ghost has been making some nice people very angry people. You know, and so they're nice over here, nice. And then you push them enough, and then there's a monster in there. Then they're back, and it's Mr. Nice again. But it wouldn't melt in the mouth. You actually even wonder whether the Mr. Nasty was there. Often it's just before the church service, too. They should be surprised how often it's on the way here. Then they're here, and they're all nice again. Nice. And worship Jesus. We love Jesus. Oh, yes, the Lord, I mean, my needs, blah, 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 blah. Back to the bottle. You understand, these idol, idols are a substitute for the real thing. They just hurt us and hurt us and they hold us in bondage. They take our time, our money, our emotions. They steal our life. Oh, how I hate the idols that took my life. I hate them. To have lost so much life. You can't find life in those things. Life is found in a living God. Why seek the living among the dead? 
You can't find life out there. Young people, you can't find the life you're looking for out there. It looks like it's an illusion. Today you're high, tomorrow you're down. More high again, then down again. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work for any of them. But it will pull on you till you become an addict just like them. Unless we say, God, today's a day for getting rid of my idols. You know, the Bible says that God will comfort his people. And where there's been a waste place, he will bring a well of life. In Ezekiel 37, you know, the prophet was taken up and he saw a valley. See, what do you see? He said, I see a valley and it's full of bones. Remember the broken spirit dryeth the bones? And he said, the bones are very many and they're very dry. God asks him a question. And of course, he goes down a bit further. He says, well, our hope is we're cut off and they have no hope. See, this is people with a wounded spirit, multitudes of them. And then he said, can they live? Is there any hope? Could it be different for you? He says, oh, you're the only, you know, Lord. And he said, yes, I do know, and it can be different. And then he said, I want you to begin to prophesy that the breath of God would come in and cause life. You see, we need the breath of God. You need the Spirit of God to come into a man's spirit and to heal the wounds, to heal the brokenness. But before that can happen, we have to let go what we're attached to. Let go what we found our life in. Some of us have found life in all kinds of places, but it's always temporary. It never lasts. And you always have to come back thirsting again. And so he began to prophesy, and the breath of God came, and the bones, life came into them. And then flesh, see, there was no flesh. They weren't human. They were just dead things. And they stood up, and they became a mighty army. And how God wants to breathe into the church. He wants to breathe into you. So you don't lie down, and you're not with all the other multitudes of Christians in a valley, in a low place, dead with all the others. He wants you to have life in you. Can these bones live? Yes, they can live. If the Spirit of God would enter into them, they would grow and stand up and become full of life and become a great army. Who can do it? Only God can do it. But if we're going to come for the only God can do it, we have to let go the things that we're looking to as a substitute and find the love and the life that only God can give. I have such a sense God is wanting to bring a deep healing. But, but I have a, also an equally as large sense and awareness. It's like things are idols in the heart. Idols, substitutes for God. Now, of course, we, you know, we don't go to bow down to some big idol. But in every idol is a demon just waiting to hold your life. But perhaps your idol is the television. Perhaps it's the fantasy. Perhaps it's some kind of sexual sin, some kind of affair. Perhaps it's alcohol. Perhaps it's... Cigarettes, perhaps it's some kind of drug, some kind of pick you up, perhaps it's some kind of busy activity. You know the well you go to. It takes most of your time and your money and your energy and emotions. Why don't you see it for what it is, demonically inspired, empty, and say today, God, I want to turn on it. I want to position myself for your grace to change me. You close your eyes right now. Jesus. Can you live? Yes, you can. Can you live? Can you break out of being dry, dead Christian? Dry, dead person? Yes, you can. But you need the Spirit of God. He said, I will comfort my people in the waste places. She'll become a river. 
the deserts shall bring fruit. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. Cast down the high things. Fill in the valleys. He's talking about repenting. Just now while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want you just to examine your own heart. And perhaps today there's some kind of idol, something which has offered you short-term comfort. But you look at it and you think there's no life in it. I'm having to go back to the same place. The answers aren't outside us, they're in us. It's in a relationship, spirit to spirit with the living God. I'd like you just as we're just in a moment of quietness, any person here today, and God spoke to you that there's an idol in the heart, that you're turning to it to comfort you instead of to God. And you say today, Lord, I want to, I want to break free of it. I need your grace to help me. Why don't you just come to the front, just kneel or stand and just open your heart to the Lord. Do it right now. Just come and join me at the front. Come and join me at the front. Maybe it's been the television. Maybe it's the games. Maybe it's the cell phone. Maybe it's ungodly and unwholesome relationships. Maybe it's rescuing people. Maybe it's sexual sin of some kind or form. Maybe you've got anger and you're just waiting for a chance to get back. It feels good to be angry, but it doesn't help us. Well, there's others. I wonder what idol, perhaps for someone here, it's your work. You've buried yourself in your work. Life is passing you by and you just work. And when you leave this world, they probably all they remember about their dad was he worked. And never held, felt his heart. Never felt your heart. Perhaps there's others here today and you found comfort in other kinds of areas and food. It's a real issue for you. It's a process of breaking free, but it starts when we recognize we've got a problem and say, God, I want to deal with my idol. Some of you perhaps are trying to control the pain. There are all kinds of ways of controlling, pretending. I don't want to pretend. I want to be whole. It's been my prayer for some time now. Unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, bring together the parts of me that are scattered that with all my heart I can love you. Because others need to come. Why don't you come? Our idols always let us down. Money lets us down. Things let us down. People let us down. Perhaps you're a mother and your idol's your children. You can always tell if your children's your idol because the moment anyone tries to bring correction to the children, you go off, nut off. Whenever an idol is touched, people nut off and become very angry. Perhaps for some of you here and you're already in leadership and ministry's become an idol for you. It's not you let go what you do, but you have to let God purify your heart. Say, God, I don't want to do this just to get people to like me or to feel important. I'm not in this for the position, Lord. I just want to bring honor to you. Not as others need to come. Need to come to the Lord. Jesus, I thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your presence.
Lord, today we have made cisterns that can't hold any water. We've tried to find ways to make things happen, to heal the pain in our heart. But nothing seems to work. Today, Lord, we turn to you, the God of all comfort. We repent of the idols, the idols that have gripped our heart, the idols that have gripped our life. Lord, we turn away from them. We turn to you. We ask, Lord, that in these next days and weeks, you'll teach us how to come near, how to encounter you, how to open our spirit and begin to enter the world where you live and have your life come and enter our world. Jesus. Just let the Lord melt your heart. He loves you. He loves you. His presence can comfort. What you're looking for is Him. What you're looking for is Him. All that control and what you're looking for is Him. Trying to make it work so hard. All you need is Him. You need Him. Rod, you need Him. come today Father we just thank you we thank you for the work you're doing right now you know God makes a promise in 2 Corinthians he said I will be a father to you you'll be my sons and daughters and I will walk in you and I will talk in you. Therefore, come out and be separate and be undefiled. And Paul says, having such wonderful promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of flesh and spirit. Lord, come, 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 Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I break the power of controlling spirits. I break idolatry. I break the power of death. I break every spirit of addiction. I break every Jezebelic spirit that controls and manipulates emotions and holds people in bondage. We proclaim liberty. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come breathe life. Jesus mighty name.